your Locked On The Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you enjoyed this episode and want to stay tuned to the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, and the Odyssey app. Doing so does not cost you a single penny and ensures you never miss another episode. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the Spotify Greenroom app and find one of our Locked On Rooms. On tonight's episode, I thought I would talk about a couple of different things. We're going to start off with the Chicago Blackhawks because they have quite a few announcements, which I'll discuss shortly, including what the specific announcements are and why they're doing all of this right now. After that, we will then move on to talking about the Stanley Cup Finals game number two between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Montreal Canadiens. This has been an interesting start to the series. I feel like these first two games have had two very different storylines. And despite, you know, Montreal's first game, perhaps they have a shot at the series if they can turn things around and solve Andre Vasilevsky. We'll go into what adjustments or what things we might need to see from them going forward. But first off, let us start with the Chicago Blackhawks and their current flurry of news. The first major piece of news that came out today was that Jonathan Taves potentially might be coming back to play next season. His exact medical ailments haven't exactly been disclosed, which is fine. I think we need to let a lot of these athletes have their their privacy and certainly allow them to recover, and we just hope that they're healthy and come back at full strength. Taves is definitely closer to retirement than anything, but I'm sure he still wants to be productive and a valuable leader for that team. He's been around Chicago for, I believe, almost his entire career, especially in professional hockey, and I'm sure that he would like to finish his time as a Blackhawk. Um, But the other piece of news that came out was that one of his teammates, Duncan Keith, is looking to move on and be traded. He's in the last couple of seasons on his contract, which has been running for many, many, many years, and has like an average annual cap hit of like $5 or so. His actual salary is considerably lower because I believe the deal was front-loaded, so whatever you're paying or, or essentially getting in trade for this whole package, you're getting Keith at a much reduced price, even if the cap hit looks a little bit garish for most teams. Now, what exactly are you getting with Keith at this stage of his career? To be honest, not a whole lot. I think Duncan is like 36 or 37, so he's been around for a while. He definitely lacks that first step acceleration. Um, his defensive reads and stuff have definitely declined. His offensive production is is very low at the stage. So in all honesty, if Chicago is going to be moving him to another team, I would have to imagine that somebody is actually getting paid to take his contract on. It has been rumored that he does want to move out west to where he is supposed to be closer to home. And this is, for Jets fans, probably a little bit worrying because Winnipeg is definitely a place where a lot of his family has roots. He's not actively living there himself, but certainly members of his family, I think like his extended family or something, is all from that region. So in a lot of ways, it is a sensible fit. It does sound like, however, that he is actually looking a little bit further out. There was the suggestion of the Vancouver Canucks, which has since been ruled out as far as I understand, mostly for expansion draft reasons, unless Jim Benning went full Jim Benning and didn't care, but... I have to think that he probably isn't looking to take on that particular player or contract. 
We then have the Edmonton Oilers, who I can't really imagine being interested in Keith all that much. He is a defender who would potentially fill in if they can't resign Adam Larson or something, but you're getting a huge downgrade, and I really can't see a reason for the Oilers not to resign Larson. He's been a reliable top 4D. He's probably not going to be that expensive, and I feel like if you're if you're moving Larson to bring in Duncan Keith instead, you're definitely not moving in the right direction. The most sensible fit of all does seem to be the Seattle Kraken because the Kraken are going to be looking for experienced veterans. This is a team that's going to be very young, I'm sure, or at least at at an age where you've got a lot of younger guys who are sort of in like their their mid-20s or something. Maybe some RFAs mixed in with some veterans and stuff, but basically they're going to have a roster that needs leadership and a guy with a lot of veteran experience. Duncan Keith would at least bring that, especially for the locker room. You can probably picture him wearing the C, especially in the first year or two, joining this team as a very experienced player who's been a Stanley Cup champion multiple times. He's been with the same franchise for many, 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 many years. And his leadership and experience might actually be useful on a team that's very young. I know folks often talk about intangibles, and there's a lot of debate as to how much that actually impacts stuff, but in terms of like human relations and morale, communication, all that stuff... Keith can actually fill a very practical role. He's also a warm body that could play some minutes. I don't know that you want him playing a whole lot because, let's be honest, at this, at this stage of his career, he's basically a number seven. But I'm sure the Kraken's defense is not going to be elite when it first starts. That said, it doesn't really matter if you're not paying him that much in terms of actual money. Catpit might not be that big of a concern for uh, Seattle at first. He'll eat up some space, but not enough to be worried, and he doesn't have that much time left on his contract. If Chicago gives you like a second round pick or something to take him on, I think that that's a very big win. You have to look at that as a, a guy that, you know, he's going to eat up minutes. He's going to be a leader in the locker room. He'll wear a captaincy. He'll be a potential early fan favorite. I feel like marketing wise, it's a good move. In terms of the on ice performance, again, you're not really expecting a whole lot, but you will get some value if nothing amazing. Now, I say all of this about Keith and Taves, but the reality of why this is all happening now, or at least coming out now, is because Chicago really wants to deflect from the Aldrich sexual abuse case. They're trying to throw a couple of smoke screens and get people's attention off of it because for the past several days, it's all anyone's been talking about when it comes to the NHL. The team hired a supposedly independent group of individuals to do an investigation into all of the allegations, but this group that they hired is actually the same firm that I believe represented Team USA during the Larry Nasser investigations and certainly the allegations that were levied against him. So, you know, you're probably not really looking at an independent third party. You're also seeing the Hawks being the one to choose this this particular firm, so I feel like this is very suspicious to me. I doubt that the investigation is actually going to show anything, or at least if it does, any findings are probably going to be buried. So I, I think, like, the, the Hawks are trying to deflect. It's not a great look for the organization. And to me, it suggests that they know that whatever comes out of this whole situation is going to be really ugly, and they're trying to distract and hold off the media for as long as possible. The Keith trade probably is a real thing, but the timing of the announcement certainly didn't have to be now. It's going to be now because Chicago's feeling the heat, and they want to slightly deflect it. All I can say about that specific part is that I hope Keith does not come to Winnipeg and goes to Seattle, where he can be, I'm sure, a valuable member of the team. We don't need him at the Jets, and I think most people would agree with that. That's all I'm going to say about the Blackhawks for this episode. I'm sure we're going to have to talk about them again in the near future as the investigations and the allegations continue to roll out. Up next, though, we will continue talking about the present and especially the Stanley Cup Finals, which have certainly seen some interesting twists and turns, and I think tonight's game perhaps shows that Montreal is not going to be an easy out for this Lightning team. Before we continue on, though, I thought you should hear about tonight's title sponsors at Green Room. 
Spotify Greenroom is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with fans, athletes, insiders, journalists, and everyone in between in real time about your favorite team or sport. Greenroom is the perfect place to start or join conversations about the league. You'll find fans just like you on Greenroom for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, big trade news, all the rumors you can handle, and hot takes and sports opinions. All the things U.S. sports fans love to talk about. You'll find many of our Locked On hosts from across the network for NBA, NHL, and MLB coverage all hosting their own Green Rooms. I'll be joining the app soon, so be sure to get started and I'll meet you there. Go download the free Green Room app right now, currently available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NHL group for the latest league updates. I know you'll find a ton of incredible rooms around your favorite teams and leagues. I can't wait to join you all in the app, so I'll be sure to let you know once the Locked On Winnipeg Jets room is live. Download the Green Room app today. Green Room, changing the way we talk sports. If you've listened to this podcast for a long time, by now you know that I'm personally a huge fan of Bilt Bars. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, Bilt Bars are the best tasting protein bars on the market because they're more like candy bars. With a 100% chocolate exterior and a soft chewy interior. They come in 9 delicious flavors like coconut, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, and more. But you should always stay tuned to BiltBar.com and all of their social media channels because Built often drops very special, limited edition, limited quantity flavors. And trust me, you simply do not want to miss out on greats like Grasshopper Cookie, Churro Puff, and so many other fantastic flavors. As good as Built Bars taste though, they're even better for you, with most bars clocking in at around 130 to 180 calories, 70 to 18 grams of protein, and 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. They're suitable for every lifestyle, whether you want to maintain or lose weight. They're also great for quick snacks or meals on the go. To place your order, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 at checkout to receive 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Don't delay, place your order today. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are now talking about Montreal versus the Tampa Bay Lightning, game number two. It is the Stanley Cup Finals. It's been a pretty volatile start to the series. The first game, Montreal ended up losing in pretty big fashion, but when you actually look at the way that they played, you look at the heat maps for the scoring chances and how Montreal was able to create or maybe had a few issues that they also had to work out, you'd realize that the scoreline probably wasn't as bad as the game itself was. Montreal was okay. I wouldn't say that they were great, but against Tampa Bay, they kind of held their own in certain areas. In the low slot area in front of Carey Price, they definitely were something of a defensive mess, but you could see room for improvement. And with a few general tweaks, you could imagine that the Habs would have a much stronger start to game number two. And in fact, Montreal did. Montreal in the first period of this game was fantastic. I thought that they were very active. They were creating tons of great chances. Off the rush, they were getting right in Andre Vasilevsky's face from all sorts of really dangerous angles and areas. I felt like they were attacking the slot aggressively. Their chance creation on some breakaways was great. You just felt like Montreal had a much better, more active, more offensively gifted performance in this first period. Guys like Nick Suzuki were very active, and you could feel like at some point Montreal was going to break the scoreless draw. It didn't happen in the first period, though. And in fact, Montreal was not the team to break the scoreline. It ended up being Tampa Bay in the second period, which, you know, this one was a bit of an unfortunate shot and deflection. Montreal was basically shutting most of Tampa Bay's offense down, but somehow Tampa Bay got a nice little zone possession, and Anthony Sorelli from the point just sort of threw one towards the net. I don't know if it really deflected, you know, sharply or anything, but it was enough to seemingly catch Carey Price off guard. I think it might have gone off of John Merrill's left leg or something. That's what somebody on Twitter said. From the replays I saw, it was a very slight deflection, which for goalies, if you're not really set in the right position or you're not expecting it, that can be a serious problem. I think Price just might not have seen the puck, period, because, let's be honest, there were quite a few bodies in front of him. 
that's a really tough way to surrender the first goal, especially when you've been in control of the game, but Montreal didn't seem too bothered by it. I felt like they were very aggressive even after the goal against, and eventually they ended up drawing a power play, and finally they got themselves on the board thanks to Nick Suzuki shooting, I think from like between the face-off circles or like above it, maybe even closer to the point. It was a fair distance away from like the top of the slot area, but the puck just sort of found its way through. It was sort of strange because Corey Perry was there in front of Vasilevsky with another defender, and I think Vasilevsky maybe overthought this one just a little bit. He was watching the puck, he definitely saw the shot coming towards him, and I don't know if he thought Perry would try to deflect it or something, but instead Perry just sort of let it ride through, and Vasilevsky froze long enough for it to go between his five hole. This was a super greasy, ugly goal, but if you want to beat Tampa Bay, this is probably the way that you're going to have to do it, because Andre Vasilevsky, especially before that goal against, was absolutely magnificent. He was making great robberies, he was stopping just about every shooting angle you could imagine, and he was doing it without really looking under pressure at all. He even stuck his stick out to break up one or two situations where the Montreal skater was cutting to the other side and ended up just sort of plucking the puck off the opponent's stick and getting it clear. When Vasilevsky is being an aggressive goaltender like that but doing it successfully, it's real tough to beat him. You know, he's shutting down all the angles, he's keeping Montreal shooters at distance. It's tough. You know, Montreal was crashing the slot area and even then it really wasn't helping as much because Vasilevsky was just turning them away repeatedly. Even still, I'm sure the Habs felt like they had a real good shot in this game, and then, you know, right before the end of the second period, disaster struck. Ben Chirac kind of got caught by, it might have been Barclay Goudreau in the neutral zone as he was transitioning into the offensive zone, and the slight hesitation just allowed Goudreau to basically grease by Chirac as he was falling. I don't know who Chirac's partner was on this one. Might have been Petrie or something, but either way, um, unfortunately for the Habs, they ended up giving a 2-on-1 to Goudreau and... Uh, of course, one of the more dangerous players on this team, Blake Coleman. By now, everyone has probably seen Coleman's amazing goal against the Boston Bruins where he basically dove for a shot, and again, Coleman dove for the puck and actually scored on this one with 0.3 seconds remaining in the period. I wasn't going to count the Habs out after that goal, but this one did kind of feel like a backbreaker and one that probably sealed the fate of this game. Even though Montreal was doing a really good job of creating quite a few good chances across the ice, it just felt like Vasilevsky was going to be enough to keep Tampa Bay ahead in this one. Montreal, no matter how well they played, really could not buy a goal, and they just did not get the bounces that they needed or some of the high-end shooting talent that they need to break through Vasilevsky. But of course, there were still 20 minutes left in the game, and maybe in period number three, Montreal would finally find the breakthrough, and if not winning in regulation, force an overtime. We'll find out if Montreal was able to conjure some magic and pull off a really major upset in this game. But before then, I wanted to tell you a little bit about why BetOnline should be the only place you do your online betting. When it comes to the wild, wild west of online betting, you need to know that there's a safe, reliable name that you can trust every single time. That's why you should look no further than BetOnline.ag. They're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Baseball, hockey, and football season are all in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your spinning needs, including the MLB, NBA, NHL, UFC, MMA, international football, and every sport in between. No matter what you're into, BetOnline has your back. Before the next pitch or face-off, head on over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up for bonuses, and enter all the contests your heart desires. Stop sitting on the sidelines and get in on the action as all of your favorite teams begin their quest for playoff glory. Win as your favorite teams win. To get started, register for a free account at BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device, and be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON to receive a matched 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Again, that is promo code LOCKEDON at registration for a matched 50% welcome bonus when you make your very first deposit at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. 
Hello, friends, and welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are finishing our recap of tonight's game between Montreal and Tampa Bay. Unfortunately for the Habs, this one is going to be a 3-1 to loss. I think there are a couple of major takeaways from this game in which Montreal was both very good, but also very bad. And the very good part is, in general, they outplayed Tampa Bay by a pretty fair margin. You can see that they more or less doubled the lightning in shots on goal, and it wasn't like they were cheap shots. Tampa Bay was actually giving up quite a few good scoring chances to some of Montreal's really fun forwards, and it was kind of a miracle that Vasilevsky was able to shut down just about everything. And so you might be wondering, well, what's the really bad? And the really bad is that Montreal sort of made a handful of really dumb mistakes, some of them very simple mistakes that ended up kind of killing the team. Ben Sherratt and Joel Edmondson both made some really bad errors. The Sherratt one, I would say, is probably the more difficult of the two just because he had to make a read inside the neutral zone, very nearly his defensive zone, and he kind of pinched awkwardly and got turned around by Goudreau. But then the Edmondson one was just a really bad layoff that was supposed to be to Jeff Petrie, I believe, but there was some sort of miscommunication, ends up going right to Palat. Palat has basically an open net to shoot at. If you're the Habs, I feel like you're you're both really encouraged by this game and also horribly frustrated because the first game wasn't terrible despite the scoreline. Montreal definitely got outplayed in the first game, but it wasn't like they were embarrassed. I felt like the scoreline was definitely a bit harsh, and it wasn't like it wasn't entirely undeserved, but a lot of the goals kind of came towards the end of the game once Montreal started to collapse. In this game, Montreal was basically competitive for the entire 60 minutes, at times dominant, and it just didn't really matter because Vasilevsky was fantastic, and then again the Habs made a couple of mistakes, and they all end up in the back of the net. The trouble for Montreal is that this is sort of the same thing that did happen in the first game, where a couple of mistakes again sort of killed the Habs. I feel like Montreal has been, you know, about as expected in that they're really struggling to find ways to score, and even when they do, it just hasn't made a difference because eventually Tampa Bay ends up outlasting the Habs and catching up on some of their mistakes and forcing them into the net. So I don't really know what Montreal can do more. I feel like the mental errors have to be corrected, but it's kind of hard to do that because these guys are all human beings. It's not like you can just turn on a switch on and off that says, hey, stop screwing up, right? Not many guys can do that, especially when under significant pressure. And I feel like this is where Bergevin's weakness when it comes to assembling a defense is really starting to show itself. I know that Victor Mete was on the smaller side and a lot of people were probably like, well, you need to bulk up, get bigger guys, more physical players, especially against a tough, gritty team like Tampa Bay. But the reality is the speed and skill of Tampa is killing some of Montreal's bigger, weaker D. And it's clear that the decision making and IQ has been very poor from Montreal's blue liners. You know, Jeff Petrie and Shea Weber can only do so much if Ben Sherratt and Joel Edmondson are having bad days. And tonight was extremely rough for the both of them. So I look at Tampa Bay and I see a team that even when they're playing poorly, they're still capable of basically shooting the lights out. This is a team that you cannot afford to make a single mistake against, and Montreal made several. They were avoidable mistakes, and I don't know if these are the kinds of things that Montreal is going to be able to fix before they return home at the end of the week. I think the Habs are still in the series, but... Tonight's game, I think, shows why Tampa Bay is just built differently and why they are reigning Stanley Cup champions. When they have mistakes or bad nights, they can kind of compensate with the sheer amount of skill and talent that they have available. Their players are very smart. They know how to pressure you. They know where you're going to make you know bad turnovers and mistakes. They understand when they can be aggressive and when to pinch, and they just take advantage of anything that you give them. So Montreal might not be enjoying the Stanley Cup Finals trip much longer. It may only be a couple more games here before the Habs are out. I wish it wasn't the case, but I think Montreal just might be in a little bit in over its head this time. 
Vegas, you could kind of get away with some stuff, and I think Montreal did a good job handling them. But this team that they're facing now is a very different animal. They don't have many weaknesses. They have elite, elite shooters. This is a team that if you give them an inch, they'll take 10 miles. And I think that that's the biggest thing in this series right now is Montreal has been giving them several inches. And, you know, Tampa Bay is just taking full advantage of what is offered. So if Montreal can clean it up, maybe they have a shot at at least scratching out a game here and resetting the, the table a bit. But they have got to smarten up as soon as possible. I'd be curious to know if you think Montreal can come back in this series. Be sure to let me know on Twitter at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. For tonight's episode, though, that will do it. Before you log off, be sure to get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your favorite media. And as always, thanks for listening. Have a great night and go Jets go.